You're listening to Five Things with Lisa Birnbach. Hi, it's Lisa Birnbach, and I'm thinking about love. I'm thinking about love because Daniel Jones, the longtime editor, founding editor with his wife, Kathy Hanauer, of the Modern Love column in the New York Times and on Amazon video, is here. And I have a million questions for you, Dan, and thank you for coming into the studio. It is good to be here. You have been reading thousands and thousands and thousands of submissions about love, personal essays, very personal essays, uh, for 15 years. And I am wondering what big shapes you see in terms of romance is dead, or heterosexual romance is dead, or people are only writing about what happened when they met someone on Bumble. What's going on out there? <laughs> Man, that's a really big question it's to start with. It's a big question. That's a big subject. Um, I, I mean, there have been... I, to me, the biggest change is technology in, in relationships. And, um, you know, the, how, how many changes that's caused that I'm not even sure younger people have understand, like, how different it is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one one big one that I feel that I feel like has all kinds of ripple effects is this idea that um, people under a certain age, I don't know if it's 30 or 35 or whatever, um, often will only date strangers. Like, they'll find, you know, they'll be using dating apps mm-hmm. and 99.9% um, and of the people on those apps are going to be strangers. And that just didn't used to be possible. Like, it, 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 we didn't go or out with desirable. people. desirable. Yeah, right. we, yeah, we didn't go out with... Well, I mean, the, the the fantasy aspect of having all these strangers out there who are available and announcing that they're available, and I think that there's a desirable aspect of that because it just feels like, you know, your, your perfect person is out there and now you have the means to, like, find them. Um, but just this notion that... Um, that we set up dates, we meet people online, we set up dates with people we don't know, and go out, you know, sometimes every night a week, sometimes <laughs> multiple times a night. Right. And and just the how, how that creates both um, just a real fantasy mindset um, on the one hand, but also an incredible amount of sort of distrust and um, calculation and all of that of like, you know, who am I? How am I presenting myself? Um, there was an interesting question when I was at a, doing an event out in L.A. where a guy was saying, um, and this comes up a lot, he was saying, like, I have, um, I think he, t- he said he had MS. It was one of these um, conditions where it's not obvious to the person you're with. And uh, and it was more like, when is the reveal? When is the proper time for that reveal in meeting someone new? And you don't want to say it too early and scare someone off. You don't want to say it too late and feel like you're withholding. But like that, when you you know when you were in school with people or working with people or had family friends, like they all knew that you had an MS. You know, right. they knew right. those basic facts about you. And um, so I, that's sort of the brave new world to me is just this this idea that um, that now that it is normal to go out on dates, often every date you go out on with someone you don't know anything about except how they've 
package themselves. And it's an ad. It's an ad. And there is there truth in advertising or not. We will be back with Daniel Jones right after this. The thing that's interesting, Dan, about the dating apps, and you probably can discern amongst them better than anyone, is that Tinder was supposed to be more hookup culture than relationship, but that's changed because the New York Times talks about weddings all the time where people met on Tinder. Mm And then there's Bumble, and there's Hinge, and there's Cupid. Okay, Cupid is Match still around? I guess I that's think so, old yeah, school. Yeah. And and do you find that the relationships that emerge from the apps have different qualities from hmm. meeting someone at work or growing up with someone? I I think um, I don't know. From what I gather, I don't know how true this is, but. The, the ones that you um, have to commit more to, that you have to pay for, or you know something like Match.com or Harmony or these ones that are supposedly at a more serious level um, than the people who are you find on there are more serious, and perhaps the people you find on Tinder are, are less so. Um, but I don't really see any difference in sort of success rates, uh, and... It, it's true that there are plenty of people who who meet on Tinder who do find it, you know, yeah. and sometimes very quickly. It it does make you wonder about the nature of relationships. That while we are all using the word authentic and people are trying to be their authentic selves, mm-hmm. suddenly people are meeting on The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, and they're meeting on other dating TV shows, Naked and Afraid or mm-hmm. Scared and Horny or whatever they're called. And then they're meeting in these in these apps, which, as you say, you know, you you design your best image mm-hmm. for for your public uh, because, you know, a swipe only takes a second and you don't get a second chance, I guess, or I don't know. I, <laughs> I have no idea. But but. It's sort of weird that we're being authentic and we're also being fake. It, it's weird that we're trying to be private, but yet be private in public. Yeah. There are all these contradictions to loving and meeting people. Well, the, you know, the best advice I've heard about it is from um, Helen Fisher, the sociologist who's, you know, studied studied uh, romance and love and what happens to your body Bi- the biological, biological yeah. she's a biological anthropologist of love yeah that sounds right um, and just I mean she studied the sort of chemical reactions that take place in your brain when you fall in love and how it's like you know, being Mental on illness. cocaine. No, it's like <laughs> being on cocaine. Oh, right? Yeah, you're so, <laughs> so the, like the buildup that the, the the whatever is firing is similar. Um, but she talks about um, these apps. Like I, I think she worries about the fantasy aspect of the perfect person and um, and how meeting online when you're just getting that presentation and you want to believe you know that this person is right for you. Um, that the longer you extend the online portion of that sort of courtship, the 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 worse off you'll be. And that she says that that love is and will always be physical. It, it requires a, a 
a physical, you know, it requires that you be able to smell the other person. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And that you interact um, as human beings sitting together and that you can, if you meet someone online and have this extended, you know, sort of messaging back and forth and you just get more and more worked up and you just think this is really it, but it's such a small portion of what that interaction and what that attraction ultimately will be. I mean, if you want to actually meet someone, a living person, you can't just send uh, cucumber and eggplant emojis (laughs) for But it's so tempting because you feel like you're performing at such a high level, you know, and the other person does too, but it's just not the the same as an in-person connection. And she's like, if you want to save time, if you want to really find someone, get off the app. As soon as you meet the person, say, let's meet in person. Mm-hmm. Let's let's meet and see if this has any potential. And it, it Sometimes it's, it does, and it feels the same as when you met online, And but often it doesn't. And you're like, okay, like I, I didn't waste a, a month, you know, texting and getting hornier and hornier <laughs> and thinking like, this is really what it's going to be and uh-huh. sort of planning the house and the country and all of that. Do you feel um, that... Young people, I guess, you know, college age, you have a kid that age, right? Yeah, a kid who's just uh, not long out of college and when he's in it. Right. So they don't seem to be having the same um, patterns in relationships that we had. And I'm not saying this because I know what your social life was Mm -hmm. like, but we went to parties in college. You would... You you didn't really call them dates, but you did go out with people. You'd go out for dinner, go to the movies, whatever, and have relationships. And they got kind of serious. Mm-hmm. I don't think college students' relationships are getting very serious anymore. I think everybody's afraid that the next date will carry a mattress around campus for the rest <laughs> right. of Oh, you're t- working that angle. Well, on. I was going to I was going to try to find an elegant way I, to get there. I don't there. know. I mean, I hear mixed messages about that that um there are there are an awful lot of high school students and college students who are pretty conservative when it comes to relationships and um and that it's not the um you know, sort of Tinder free for all hookup culture that is I think about they're so scared, much. actually. Yeah. I, I actually think that because they have spent so much of their downtime looking into a phone mm-hmm. or on a laptop or something, that they don't have the social skills that people once had to have in order to interact. I, I, I think that's true with some people. I think it's it, there's a... There, it, it can be, uh, you know, so much of a crutch, and it can be so much fun. Um, and again, like sort of a performance when you're communicating online, that the in-person vulnerability thing is just really hard. No, I think and, that's yeah. why they they seem so conservative because they don't know how to deal with strangers and they don't know what to talk about. Yeah, um, I, I think that's part of it. I, I mean, I I think it's a split screen for a lot of kids. I think that half of their half of their experience is probably a lot like what ours was, um, but the other half is is this, um, you know, t- Tinder fueled sort of fantasy swiping. Um, and I don't, yeah, I don't. I mean, I I don't like to criticize sort of one way or the other. I, but oh, I don't um, mean to criticize. Yeah. It just seems different. And I think it's other- harder. I think it's really hard in, in, to have to have that sort of fantasy and and all these people available 
um, but to feel a sort of mania about getting through them. You know, you know the whole thing is this volume problem of right. thousands and thousands of people, and um, and how am I going to get through them? You know, and sometimes we, the, the natural impulse is to get through them by um, by weeding out people based on these sort of arbitrary things, location and religion, <laughs> and things that may, that are important in a way, but also by by just sort of in a black and white way ruling people out mm-hmm. to get those numbers down to Height a manageable and level. I yeah, mean, all of that stuff. Right. Well, on the other thing is porn. Mm-hmm. These young digital natives have grown up with a very... Very available. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I think that pornography has become much more normalized mm-hmm. than it used to be. I remember about 10 years ago, I wanted to pitch an article. This is going to make me sound truly out of it. To a friend of mine was an editor at Playboy at the time, and I wanted to, I pitched a story about the lack of pubic hair. And he just, you know, was hysterical laughing because I was 20 years behind the trend, but I just Uh picked up Playboy and noticed that there was none Uh in that issue of that magazine. <laughs> so I, I think everybody looks porned. Yeah. You know, I think of the makeup influencers and the fashion influencers and the Kardashians have really yeah. made porn part of the daily diet for a lot of people. Even I, I think all these women in underwear in their bathrooms taking selfies. I mean, that that's pornographic yeah. as far as I'm concerned. And anybody can be a performer. I mean, a lot, you know, I think the the biggest, um, you know, portion of the porn industry now is is amateurs, you know. It's, um, it's people staking out their own brand and getting it up there. And um, so, yeah, it filters. And, and then that, that becomes a transition from these sort of porn star bodies to... Everybody, the way everybody looks. Well, that's you know? yeah, that's my thinking. It's <laughs> yeah. it's it's the unrealistic expectation, both the the burden of having to measure up to some kind of idealized right. body type that may have had a lot of uh, assistance and augmentation, <laughs> and a kind of uh, unrealistic expectation on everybody's part too. Yeah, you maybe. know, you can't look normal. You can't look your age. You can't look. Like you had a hard day. You have to be kind yeah. of perfect and perky and young and toned and tan and yeah. boiled up. I don't know. It's exhausting. <laughs> I, I I couldn't bear it if I. I mean, I feel sorry for younger people who are trying to figure out who they are. And also, am I the manic pixie girl? Am I the porn mm-hmm. girl? Am I the tattoo girl? I, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's tough. Hard. Um, you know, I think the other thing that's that that happens with kids these age is is this um, is this sense of what what is the protocol like? What is, what are dating protocols anymore? And um, and I and feel consent like and, and yeah, a, a it's, assault it's, or right? It's it's I think it's really at the front of a lot of their minds um, more. You know, really more in these sort of Me Too post Me Too time, um, they get these confusing messages from colleges and universities who are grappling <laughs> grappling with these problems and how to approach it from a, an administrator standpoint and saying like that, 
if anyone's had anything to drink at all, then they can't consent. And like, how realistic is that when you're out at parties and bars? And you um, have to watch and, your drink. And how much is if you know? We did this. We did yeah. this, did this uh, as part of Modern Love, uh, a, a sort of joint project with the gender um, editor at the Times. So we did. Um, uh, a project called Sex and Consent on Campus, and 45 Stories of Sex and Consent on Campus, where we did a call out um, for uh, stories of uh, of people who were sort of, you know, it was worse than a bad date, but it wasn't assault and rape, but that, that middle ground where um, these issues of consent and some sort of repercussion, like, and it w- they were sort of heartbreaking, I thought. Like, it was um, men not knowing... Uh, what to do, feeling like they were supposed to lead the way, women feeling like they needed to go along with it. Um, and instead of instead of a lot of stories, our fear was getting a lot of stories that were men just sort of trampling on women in obvious ways. But the real story was um, women consenting to sex they didn't want over and over and over and, and to tease out why they were consenting. And it, a lot of it had to do with like not wanting to seem like a prude. Like, this is what was expected, and I didn't... Like, the, you didn't... In the past, you didn't want to have the reputation as the slut. Right. And now you don't want to have the reputation as the prude. Oh, um, and, like, that's where... Um, in, in a way, sort of that's where... I don't want to say equality, but it's more um, sort of an equal playing field in a way where no one is really sure what... Um, What's okay, and what the what you're supposed to say, and women being turned off by a man saying, "Is it okay if I touch you here? Is it okay if I touch you here? Is it okay if I undo your pants?" You know, right, right. Um, a basic level confusion where w- women, some women, were like, "Well, I don't stop doing that." You know, like this is sort of ruining the moment. Other women who are like, "Well, that makes me feel safe to have that conversation." Right. Um, but yeah, the, it's the, the old sort of. Um, protocols have been, you know, sort of blasted away by all of this. And I'm not sure anyone's really figured out the right way to replace it. Well, there's, you know, this is why HR departments uh, were set up everywhere. This is why they're intimacy coordinators. Somebody can figure it out. Yeah, but nobody really (laughs) has. Or we're not all at the same place at the same time. So you may have come of age with a very smart parent and you've had some very good talks and or big brother or sister's help but maybe mm-hmm. she hasn't or he hasn't I mean it is very confusing and and on top of that the new expectation that you could be not an expectation perhaps but the the added challenge of gender issues and new fluidities of all kinds. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen too many essays in the paper that are about trans romances, have I? I don't feel I've... We've had some over the years. It was sort of a a big big moment when we had our first because, uh, which was probably eight or or so years ago. Um, But I remember that for years... Like there were there, we didn't even receive a submission on that subject. You know, normally, if the odds of getting published are sort of one in one hundred and fifty, you figure you need about one hundred and fifty essays about any subject before right. you're going to find one that really works. And we really hadn't received um, 
any on that topic. And and I think a lot of it was that it was just not, it was too scary to talk publicly about something um, like that. I, I think um, the speed with which gay marriage became um, sort of one public approval and became legal and all that sort of pulled along. You <laughs> it know. became suburban. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and it sort of pulled along, um, you know, other marginalized groups and in, in its wake. And people started talking about um, trans issues and we rece- started receiving essays about them and, and we published a bunch. Um, we I don't think we have in the past year or so, but... Uh, yeah, we've we've covered it from a few different angles, yeah. You also got to see the exploitation, in the best sense of the word, of the columns as a TV series on mm-hmm. Amazon, which has been phenomenal. And what casts and what what tremendous commitment to the essays. I yeah. you know, I love them and I loved how the Times reprinted them once they made it into TV land and, yeah. you know, it's been exciting. What I find interesting is that sometimes I like to read them more than I like to see them because uh-huh. I have already created my image of the storyteller. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting experience for me because um, for all these years, and really until the podcast started, which is about um, a little over four years ago, uh, it was re- it was just the column. It was just the printed column, and um, for me, like there's, I'm I'm not really the readership uh, in terms of like I don't I don't get to read these things as the reader does. For me, when I take things on, it's sort of this editorial problem, and nothing ever comes in completely clean. And some are are problems where just the subject matter is really dicey, um, and so I'm working on it more, and I'm stressing out over it more than I'm appreciating it. Um, well, I, I you have to yeah. fact check, you have to yeah. edit, you have to. It's a it's it's clean a fun it's up. a fun job, but it's a job, and it's and. But, but fifteen what, years I know, of it. I know. That's a lot of love. It's a lot of love. Is it too much love? And some hate too. <laughs> and some hate. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the but what I was going to say about the uh, these different forms it's taken. Um, which in some cases has happened, I think, because it's gone on long enough where there's this archive of material that um, people see and that they can sort of tap into and repackage. And um, But with the podcast first, um, it was the first time when these stories were sort of re- presented back to me as an audience, where it's someone else, someone else's skill, both the, but the people who make the podcast and the actors... Um, who at times are just so so good at at uh, bringing you know their emotion and their experience to these stories, and I didn't expect that. I just thought the idea of reading an essay, you know, I've gone to a lot of readings in my life. Yeah, <laughs> some of them have been really boring and hard <laughs> to sit through, and. I had this image of like, well, how's a podcast going to succeed with people just reading to you? Um, but when they did a few prototypes and sort of seized on ones that were really good, I was really blown away and saw the potential for it um, and uh, and was able to appreciate it really in a way that I hadn't as the editor of the column. I mean, I I like the, the, the things that I publish and I'd 
I, I enjoy them. But like I said, it's this sort of shift from something that I'm working on and I'm responsible for and it's my thing to stress about to something where I can just sort of sit back and and really appreciate it. And the, and the TV show has taken that to a whole new level, um, in part because they've also been sort of reimagined. You know, they're, they've been dramatized. So some of them stuck closer to the original essays than others. But... Um, but in, in a couple of cases, they were really just leaping off points for um, the filmmakers and the, write, the screenwriters to, 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 to see what else is in here and see how we can create this as a 30-minute movie. Um, and because I'm not a filmmaker and that's not my world, I wasn't really going to have any responsibilities that had to do with, you know, how how we're going to do this. I do sort of have a role on the show, but um, mostly I just sort of stood back and was like, wow, this is this is really fun to be a part of and um, really fun to be an audience for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you think or do you think that 15 years on the love beat is more than you could, you know, is your cup still running over us? <laughs> or are you now, are you going to move to the TV world or are you happy to stay well, as I'm where to, thou, thou what, hast yeah, I'm been? I'm trying to see what, what this balance, what balance to strike going forward because um, I really like all the different aspects of it, but there's sort of too much incoming. We, we've created this new column that I know you and I were talking about before we went the on mini, the mini <laughs> the mini uh, is so t- great tiny love stories tiny love stories um, but those come in by the thousands you know we've got those seriously yeah. those just started it started um, in September of 2019 yeah. yeah so it's been going on for over a year these are 100 15, words 15 months or so right 100, 100 words, words or yeah, less with a they're the incredible, yeah. incredible. They are so much fun. Yeah, they, and, and yeah, it's been a, it's been a fun, successful project. We have a we have a book of them that uh, we're working on that will come out about a year from now. Of the um, minis, of the minis, yeah. tinies, yeah. yeah. So um, there's love all around, really. There's lots, and there's lots of there, there's there's a lot that sort of comes in, and that's the hardest for me to deal with. Um, the other parts of the job, the, the editing itself, um, the meetings I go to, working on the podcast and working on the TV show is all sort of, um, you know, it happens at different times. It's irregular. Um, but the influx is the thing that is crushing. And <laughs> that, that, we, need to, we need to figure out sort of. And that, you need and that backup goes, readers. And that goes up with every new incarnation. Oh, of course. With more awareness of and course. more. So, you know, we're getting, we're getting want submissions. Because Anne Hathaway yeah. to play them. Exactly. Like, right. All I have to do is write, tell my story. And right. Then, <laughs> wow. Do you, have, do you really still read them all yourself? No, there, there are two of us. Um, there's a young woman named Mia Lee who um, started reading uh, college contest submissions for me mm-hmm. when she was when she was in college and worked as a as a sort of intern for college contests. Um, she was really good. Um, and I, when the podcast started and we started, we got more volume um, of submissions. Uh, I angled to have her sort of get a get a monthly, you know, um, 
sort of a little fee to just help me with the in, sort of mm-hmm. overflowing inbox. And then when she graduated, I managed to sort of work her onto the staff. So she um, she works uh, on everything basically, but her main responsibility is is um, going through um, doing t- the tiny love stories and identifying them. Um, working with me to to edit them she does most of the editing and talks to the talks to all the writers um creates it into a page you know the times is a very uh uh sort of jack of all trades kind of place where you really need to see things all the way through like you you get stuff from the receiving end all the way through to creating the page and publishing the page we're all we're all little self publishers at our desks in a well, way well now that they <laughs> Got rid of a lot of editors and right <laughs> shifted shifted them around. Shifted was, them around. Shifted them around. That's yeah. right. That's um, right. So yeah, and she's uh, involved in and been involved in the TV show and uh, um, and, and has sort of uh, creative and also support roles in in every project that we work on. So that's been a huge help. Um, but the volume just just keeps increasing. So. Wow, and it will. And when yeah. when you start doing real merch, man, you're going to be We have some merch. We have t-shirts and tote bags and oh, you do? sweatshirts and Oh, I had <laughs> no. no idea. I should have brought you one. Yeah, you should have. <laughs> yeah, you should have. Um, Daniel, it's great talking to you. It's great to see you again. I want to say that before that we met a number of years ago, uh, you and I, and I know that before you were a gainfully employed writer and editor, you were a ski teacher, right? Yeah, yeah. As soon as I graduated from college I um, in Virginia, I moved out to Utah and was a ski bum for a couple of years. As, as people are. Yeah, yeah. And now... You can't do that love. stuff anymore, I don't think. No, I you know. Get, gotta get straight into that job. <laughs> <laughs> Would you be kind enough to review your five things that make your life better? Oh, I forgot about the five things. Never forget about the five things. <laughs> no, never. How do you want me to do it? Well, that's, well, I'll just say the number and you tell me okay. about it and why it matters to you. Okay. Number one. Uh, number one is the Google Earth app, um, which, first of all, I don't even see how it works. I don't see how, you know, this is this app that for the one person on Earth who doesn't know about it, <laughs> that um, <laughs> You know, you can zoom in on the Earth, and you. And at first, I understood it because you could just. I th- I understood it was from satellite images, and you could just, you know, zoom in from above. But ne- then they created this side, this aspect of it where you can tip it, so you can see the sides of buildings. And I just even don't even know how that works. But um, it just it for me, it takes me like back to boyhood. It's just it's this sort of total fantasy of being able to. Um, see places like a bird, you know, and uh, I don't know why I could just um, I could spend hours on Google Earth. Um, I love that, and I, <laughs> you know what I love? I love um, there are some games that are affiliated with Google Earth. I think where you you can guess sort of what uh, continent you're in and what country you're in. Oh, really? I I haven't even gone there yet. Okay, I'm going to find out what that's (laughs) called because it's really cool and you're driving along, you know. Oh, really? You're driving along a road in a jungle in 
Kuala Lumpur and you uh-huh. feel like you're there. It's very cool. Yeah. You're not really there. You're, you're not, not really experiencing anything. Nothing, because we're all <laughs> living in a silo. <laughs> Number two. Okay, so this is Ben and Jerry's Pumpkin Cheesecake Ice Cream, which is a limited edition um, that only comes out around Thanksgiving, but um, is so good and is made better by the fact that it's a limited edition. Yeah, of course. That, yeah, exclusive. that's the whole strategy. Yeah, you know? yeah. But our local market um, up in Washington Heights must have gotten sort of, you know, too much of it somehow, and maybe no one in my neighborhood <laughs> likes it. <laughs> so they seem to have sort of a steady supply. They still have a lot, you know, going heading, you know, into the end of January. Oh, that's a good tip. So it's been a good, it's been a good three months for me. <laughs> it's like <laughs> restaurant week is actually a month. <laughs> Don't tell. <laughs> number three. Uh, number three is Fort Tryon Park up in up in Washington Heights, which. Um, you know, I don't think tourists go to go to these places. It it does have the cloisters. The cloisters are which, up there. Yeah, yeah, which tourists sort of get bust into and bust out of. But the park itself is so beautiful, um, with views of the views of, Washington Bridge of and New Palisades. Jersey and the Palisades. Yeah, yeah and it's gorgeous. It's just a stunning, stunning park. Oh, that, and there's um, a nice cafe there too. Yeah, but I think that closed. Oh no. It's going to close. Shoot. I just read that. Yeah. Oh, bummer. Everything good the, the is closing. The leaf or something. A new, new leaf. leaf? Yeah. Oh, I know. I don't know what bad. happened. Mm. Number four. So number four is open office plans, which... You, you and know, Michael Bloomberg love of, them. They get a lot of grief. Yeah, yeah. Michael Bloomberg is going to make the White House an open office <laughs> an plan. An open office plan. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody likes to complain about the office open office plan. Um and I just love it. Like the times changed from um, lots of, uh, well, anyone senior had their own office, and then everybody else had these huge, um, like really huge, big wooden carrels with big high sides on them, mm-hmm. and all of that. And I, you really had to make an effort to go talk to somebody. And in the open office plan, it's true that you hear people's phone calls, and you hear you're, you're very in very close quarters. Um, but I like it because I'm sort of a shy person, and I, I was, would not make the effort to go talk to people. And so now it's just, you know, you're all in one big playroom. <laughs> it's, <laughs> sort of, um, it's a little hard to make phone calls if you need privacy sometimes, um, even though we have some rooms for that. But um, the open office plan is, is great. It's great fun. Well, and also... Uh, you may get tips and directions and help I mean, when for you're me, for covering For me, it's like the Starbucks sort of yeah. syndrome of where I, I work better if there are people around me making noise and working than I do in total silence or isolation. So um, for me, it makes me more, more productive. Um, and number five? And number five is also sort of counterintuitive. It's the Metro North New Haven line which is my commute, which is only twice a week. I come spend weekends in Massachusetts and then come down and park um, park on metro in a metro north station and for some reason um, instead of dreading that train ride, that train ride is always a, a good thing <laughs> I'm not even sure why because I like going to the city I really do like I just feel like um Leaving the country and heading in feels energizing and fun and like I'm about to have a good week of exciting things happening. And then it's really nice 
to leave, and I go. I get the like. I, I go and get the same. I go to Grand Central and get the same, the exact same sub at the same store every day. And I so look forward to like sitting on that train, taking out that sub <laughs> into the country. And it's just sort of a moment of joy that never, never gets old. The transition both ways. Yeah. And um, do you listen or read or nap or besides the you know, sub? The best me reads. Um, the the weak me uh, gets on my phone and scrolls through Twitter and stuff like that. Um, but I'm We're trying, all I'm the trying to be better. I'm trying We're to all be the better. weak you. No, I've, I've, I have one of my resolutions this year was to to read on my commuting time instead of like a book, on a, you know, an actual instead book of with instead paper. of scrolling mindlessly through Twitter. And I've done a pretty good job of that. I'm, I'm you know Excellent. not perfect, but better. Well, uh, we're all the weak you, and we all want to be the better you. And it's really fun talking to you, Dan. Thank you, you too, so Lisa. much. It's a pleasure. And now, my five things. Number one, lunch with friends. I know it doesn't sound like a big deal, but very often I spend whole days alone in my apartment writing, which I consider wonderful. But I forget that I'm allowed to take a break and see a person and have a conversation. I really do appreciate that. Number two, the thread, which is posted on my website at lisabernbach.com by Cindy Otis, formerly of the CIA, in which she tells us how to take care of ourselves during a time of disinformation and stress. It's very wise. It's very helpful. And she's agreed to come on to our podcast soon when her book comes out. Number three, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, hero, patriot, straightforward, purple heart, brave, honest public servant. Need I say more? Number four, your feedback. Honestly, I keep changing this podcast format as a reaction to what I hear from you. So I'm trying to make this the podcast you tell all your friends about in addition to listening to every week. And I appreciate it. And number five, resistors. People who have altered the course of their lives and careers to resist this terrible despot. People like Claude Taylor, Professor Lawrence Tribe, Diana Waymar, George Conway, Richard Painter, Molly Jong Fast, and many, many others. You've been listening to Five Things That Make Life Better. My guest this week has been Daniel Jones, editor of the New York Times Modern Love column and the Modern Love podcast and the Modern Love TV show. You can follow Daniel on Twitter at DanJonesNYT. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play Music, YouTube, and iHeartRadio. My blog is at LisaBernbach.com where you'll find links and photos to all the things we discussed. And this podcast is produced in New York City by TheFieldTV.com. My engineer is Jimmy Regan, assisted by Kevin Watkins. My team is Espresso Rucci, Michael Port, Boko Haft, and Sam Haft. Until next week, stay warm and act natural. Bye-bye. That was Five Things with Lisa Bernbach. New episodes every Friday, if she remembers.